Well, while our kids make their way outside, if you could open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, there are some blue pew Bibles in the rack in front of you, and we would encourage you to take one of those Bibles for yourself. If you don't own a modern translation of the scriptures, please take that one. It is now yours uh, as a gift from us. Uh, Please read it, read the cover off of it, and when you've worn it out, um, bring it back and get a new one. And uh, you can have that one too. If you're visiting with us, we're studying the book of Ephesians. We do that at Fellowship Bible Church. We take a book of the Bible and we work our way through from the start of the book to the finish. We don't do that with the whole Bible, just portions of the book. And we've been working as a church for the last year and a half or so through the book of Ephesians. Maybe it's the last two years. I'm trying to recall. I don't remember. We've been working through the book of Ephesians. Let's pick up our reading in verse 10 of chapter 6, and we'll work our way down through verse 18, which we'll study today. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to know your mind. Give us grace to hear this word from you today, a person who fights for you, prays for you. And may we be people who walk with you, talk with you, engage in prayerful conversation with you. Equip us to take up your armor, but only with prayer. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was in the middle of World War II, there was a British prisoner of war who'd been taken captive near the region of Normandy, France. He was ushered by the Germans over to a German prison camp. And while he was in that German prison camp, he discovered a poem written by another British prisoner of war. It was scribbled down with pencil. But being that it was written by another prisoner of war, this fellow was eager to keep it. And soon he made it his own personal anthem. And after the war in 1945, he sent this little poem to a British publication who ran it. And it reads as follows. Christ, I thought I knew all the answers until madness started this war. I never gave you a second thought nor even talked to you before. The age-old story of Bethlehem and the drama of Calvary were nothing more than fairy tales. Yes, Lord, mere fairy tales to me. But tonight, 
My helmet is heavy, and so is the pack on my back. Barbed wire has left me two torn hands, and my feet leave a bloody track. My shoulders sag neath this heavy gun, and my body is weary with pain, and my whole tortured being cries out for rest and release, but in vain. For the first time in my life, I know your head hurt from a thorny crown, and your tired, bleeding shoulders ached when that heavy cross weighed you down. Those nails sent, you, sent into your hands and feet, every inch of your flesh was torn, and your bruised body was weary. My God, once you too were careworn, but you didn't quit. You carried on until the grim battle was through, and now I know you did it for me, so I'll go on fighting for you. I want you to know I'm sorry. It was my sins that put you to death, and I'll keep on saying I'm sorry until I draw my last breath. Christ, I never knew war could be the means of saving my soul. How little I thought I would find you in this muddy foxhole. Now, how many of you have heard of foxhole prayers? You've heard of them. Typically, when we mention that somebody has made a foxhole prayer, we don't think too much of it, do we? It's the sort of prayer that we offer when we're in trouble. We didn't think of it before, but now that we're in the middle of it, we start to pray. But as this soldier found, and as the Apostle Paul would have us to find, it's an indictment on our nature that we usually don't pray until we're in the foxhole. And what the Apostle Paul has been doing in this passage here is trying to convince us. Don't let your lying eyes convince you. Otherwise, you are always in the foxhole. So start praying. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to this wartime prayer, this type of prayer that emerges when we realize we're up against it in this life. As we just read about, Paul has been talking about principalities and powers against rulers of the heavenly places, and we're doing battle against them, and we have to stand. Therefore, we have to pray so that we can stand. This is wartime prayer. This is foxhole praying. And it's the sort of prayer that you can take with you a lifetime. Let's do a little review. This will be our last time reviewing this particular passage. Our final call to arms is what we've been studying from Ephesians 6.10 forward. The Apostle Paul says, finally. Now, he doesn't mean, well, I don't have anything else to say, so I'll add this on. What he's meaning is, no, no, I've been working through all of my energy to this point to get you here so that I can command you to stand, to stand fast. And to do so, you need this armor of God. So far, we've covered the command to stand, and we've covered all six pieces of God's armor. If the rest of this study intrigues you, you can go onto our website and listen to the rest of these sermons. But we've covered those six specific pieces of armor, and now we're going to move forward to Paul's second part of this command to stand. Yes, we have to stand. Yes, we have to put on the whole armor of God. But the way that we will do that is by prayer. In the next two verses, Paul is going to focus 
specifically on prayer. And for today's sermon, I want us to remember four watchwords, and those will essentially be our four main points. Okay? So let's go with four watchwords, and you can just keep with them. In other words, there's four descriptions that Paul wants our prayer to look like. And they're these. Militant, personal, perpetual, and manifold. Militant, personal, perpetual, and manifold will explain what Paul has in mind with each one of these ideas as we work forward. So let's look at our translations one more time at verse 18. That's where we're going to be sticking, and I want to read it one more time just so that we have a good idea of what it says moving forward. He says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now let's cover this first word, militant. Militant. What do I mean when I say that Paul is advocating prayer that is militant? Well, I'm going to have to be a little bit technical. I'm not usually this technical in the way that I explain things, but it's necessary for today. How many of you know what a participle is? Okay. What is, what's the nature of a participle? If you could tell me what it does. What's a participle do? It ends with what? It's a famous one. It ends with ing. That's right. I heard it. A participle ends with ing. Well, in here, in this verse that we just read, praying at all times in the Spirit, that's an ing word in Greek. Okay. Now, move forward, and it says, and to that end, keep alert. In the original language, that is also a participle, okay? So it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Okay, so let's stop right there. For those of you moms who teach your kids school at home, they're in sixth grade English grammar class, and they say, Mom, check out this sentence I wrote. Praying at all times and keeping vigilance, period. What would you say to them? You would say, you need a verb. They say, well, I have two verbs, praying and keeping. And they'd say, well, no, no. Those are participles, right? You need to complete the sentence. So how do we complete this sentence? How do we complete this sentence if both of these are praying at all times and keeping watch at all times? Well, what we have to do is look backward. Look backward at verse 14 with me, okay? Just turn back to verse 14 and look back there with me, if you will. Paul says, stand therefore, praying at all times and keeping watch at all times. Now let's go forward to verse 17. Paul says, and receive or take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Take the helmet, take the sword, praying at all times, keeping alert at all times. In other words, what Paul is saying is these participles modify, stand, and receive. You can't stand your ground in spiritual battle. You can't put your helmet on. You can't take up your sword without praying and without keeping alert. In other words, praying and keeping alert are necessary components are part and parcel of what it means to stand firm. It's what it means to put on a helmet. It's what it means to take up the sword. If you want to have these tools of weaponry, if you want to be fully armed, if you want to stand like God wants you to stand against the forces that are coming at you, do it by praying 
and keeping watch, is what Paul is saying. It's not a command in itself. It's part of the broader command to stand your ground and to put on the whole armor of God. Does that make sense, everybody? So what Paul's saying is that this prayer, this praying that he's advocating right here, is all a necessary part of your spiritual warfare, which Paul has been talking about here in Ephesians 6. The standing man is a praying man. The well-armed woman is a praying woman. You can't stand, and you can't be well-armed without it. In other words, what Paul is telling you here is you are in the foxhole. Start praying so that you can have everything you need to stand and to be equipped. Next watchword. Next watchword is that Paul is advocating personal prayer. He says right here, stand praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I told you that these were participles. But this is a special participle. In fact, you might want to, I don't usually tell you you need to add words to your Bible, but this is a word you can put in there because it's in the original. Okay? You can put it this way. Praying yourselves at all times. And keeping alert yourselves at all times. Now, Paul could have told us, let us pray and let us keep watch. But he actually gives a you command. You all, you all praying yourselves. Paul is emphasizing that this prayer is not, um, is not primarily a corporate thing. Yes, the church is supposed to gather to pray. In the early books of In the early uh, church, in the book of Acts, you see the church always gathering to prayer. The ideal church in Acts 2.42 was a church that continued in the prayers. But the Apostle Paul right here is putting the burden of prayer and supplication on every individual Christian to be a praying person. He's laying that personal responsibility right at everybody's feet. Paul doesn't say, let us. He says, you all yourselves receive the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, by praying yourselves and by keeping yourselves alert. Paul is telling us right here that we can't coast off of the prayer life of another or rely solely on corporate prayer times of where our church gathers to pray. But it's something we need to devote ourselves to individually. Now, let me just stop right here and say something very quickly. I probably should have said this at the very beginning. I was intending on saving this to the end, but I'll say it now so that the rest of the sermon doesn't take a too negative of a turn. By no means am I holding up my personal prayer life as the best prayer life ever that needs to be emulated and copied and so forth. Having said that, if I wanted to make everybody here leave feeling very guilty, could I hammer away on our lack of prayer and send you home with your head hanging? Okay, could I do that? Do I want to do that? Keep in mind, I could do that to myself. I could hit myself very hard on this issue. 
and make it a point of deep guilt and shame and discourage everybody. Far be it for me to do that this morning. I don't want that to be I don't want that to be our mindset. Okay. Can we all agree that we should have prayed more leading up to this very moment? Can we all agree that? Okay. Should we let yesterday's failures affect us today? Okay. Let's get a forward look and say, okay, what is God calling me to now? What does God want from me in this area? And let's keep our goals reasonable so that we can, by degrees, grow and change into the image of Christ, okay? So let's keep that sort of in front of us. So if I sound overly negative, you can say, well, he may have sounded it, but he didn't mean it, okay? <laughs> All right. Paul is calling us to a personal prayer life, personal. It's very easy. It's very easy to sort of coast in the wake of another spiritual growth. How many of you, maybe at some point in time in your Christian life, have had a habit of getting together with somebody who is very spiritually mature? You have lunch with them, you have coffee with them, and you realize they really know God, and when they talk, the words of God just spill out of their mouths. And you think to yourself, man, I wish I could spend more time with them. Well, why is that? You're you're sort of getting pulled along by their maturity, aren't you? Now, that's not a bad thing. That's how the Lord tells us to grow. But the Lord doesn't want that to be the only thing. He wants us to start growing, and as he tells his protege, Timothy, that your benefit may be apparent to all. Paul says, I don't want you to grow so that others will see it. But when you do grow, others will see it. And maybe you will become the person that others are trying to draft off of to grow in grace. We all bear this responsibility in a personal way. Number three, our third watchword for the day. Militant, we're all in a war. We need to be praying as though we were personal. We all bear this responsibility. And then third, perpetual. The most striking feature of verse 18 is the alls. Look at it right here with me. Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you... When we read that the first time, did those alls just sort of slip past you? But now that you see it, there in the text, all, 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 all. And even the very verbs that Paul chooses to use emphasize a perpetual type of prayer. Look here. He says, praying with all prayer and supplication, keeping alert. Now, this is a, a common word for prayer that we don't often associate with it, but do you remember when Jesus told the disciples, keep on the alert, you don't know when the day or the hour is coming. In the Old Testament, saints are, the uh, Old Testament people are told to keep alert and watch for the Lord and pray. 
keeping alert is synonymous with prayer. And then he says, I want you to do this with perseverance, ongoing, suffering long, bearing up under, keeping going. The idea of perseverance is to just keep going on and on and on and on. Now, I like to, I like to exercise. I like to exercise. I like to run when my body's cooperating with me. There is one thing I am not. I am not fast. Okay? If we were to go out and run a 100-meter race, I would get skunked by most of you. And I'd probably pull my hamstring halfway through. Okay? However, God gave me a diesel engine. Okay? And I can just go chug, 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 chug for a long time. I don't run with very much quality but I can give you a whole lot of a bad product, okay? <laughs> I can persevere when it comes to exercise. It's not fast, it's not great, but I can go. I can go a long time. And, as luck would have it, I find it enjoyable, okay? Just chug along. That's actually the idea of perseverance. It's this steady not sprinting, stopping, sprinting, stopping. It's a steady, ongoing, day-to-day, drip, drip, drip of consistent prayer. God is not advocating a sprinter's mindset. Steady, daily perseverance in prayer. You don't have to be a sprinter. Few of us are, but everybody can channel that diesel engine and chug along prayer, right? Okay. Let's go over our last watchword, manifold. And that's the, this is the one we're going to spend a little bit more time on that comparison, in comparison to the other three. And then we're going to talk about cultivating a persevering prayer life. I want us to notice that Paul emphasizes prayer variety. Variety is the spice of life. Variety is the spice of the prayer life, too. Okay? Notice in here all the different words Paul uses for prayer. He says prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says, and as for me, my... you." It'd be given my mouth boldly to proclaim. Paul is using a variety of words here for prayer because he wants us to realize that the scripture, the Bible, contains a vast array of prayers. Now, just t- take a thought, take a snapshot of your prayer life, okay? Just very quickly, do a little inventory of the last 10 times you've prayed. I would venture to say that most of that praying was probably a focus on your individual needs, right? Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Oh, Lord, my family member needs this. My family member needs that. That's great. We, you need to pray that way. But just so you know, that is one small sliver of the Bible pie that is prayer. Okay, now, I brainstormed this week over the different types of Bible prayer 
Because that's what Paul is going over. And I'm just going to flash them up here on the screen, and you can see them for your own. There are prayers of praise, Psalm 32, Psalm 95, Psalm 100. Now, this line could have filled up a whole slide because there are countless, there are countless uh, prayers of praise. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, whose sin is, whose sin is covered, whose God doesn't hold anything against him. Psalm 100, let all the peoples praise you. Lift your voice, praise the Lord with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, same thing. God, the creator and maker of all things, is worthy of our great praise. We thank you, we praise you. Praise, gratitude, thanks. Just that is a huge section of prayer. There's a hymn that I like to remind myself of. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. This is a trait that we often lose. And a grateful heart, a humble heart, is a heart that praises and thanks. Number two, there's personal confession of sin. I would say this is another broad category of prayer. In fact, many of us think that we can't really start praying until we confess our sins. I would encourage you to break from that habit. In a moment, I'm going to advocate a certain type of prayer, but I'm going to pick on my son Peyton here very quickly, okay? Well, Peyton's my buddy. Peyton and I have a good time. We spent all Friday together, okay? I want you to imagine we're about to go hang out. We're going to go grab a steak burger at Freddy's. They're awesome if you've never been there, by the way. So Peyton's about to hop in the car. We're about to go, and he hops in. He says, Dad, before we go, and I say, what's up, buddy? He goes, oh, my father, I have sinned so greatly. Let me enumerate all the ways I've sinned against you and the family today. I would say, first of all, stop talking. Let's go eat, okay? <laughs> it's okay. You're a sinner. I get it. You don't have to enumerate it for me. Now, certain specific things, yes, probably need to be dealt with, but I wouldn't encourage him to go deep down into this self-contemplative dive before he can communicate with me. What kind of father would I be that I would make him do that simply to talk to me? You see? Should you confess your sins to the Lord? Of course. 1 John 1.8, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pray, confess your sins, but remember, that's a small part of the biblical pie that is prayer. There's national, oh, Psalm 51, that's David's famous confession for sin, by the way. He committed adultery, committed murder. It's a prayer of confession. There's national confession of sin. Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah is just outraged at the sins of his people. Nehemiah hadn't done any of it. But he prays, asking God's mercy on this people. And he doesn't say they did all these things. He says we did all these things. He puts himself into that category of national confession. Number four, there's reasoning with the Almighty. Do you remember when the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to go destroy that city, that city Sodom? Remember what, what, remember what Abraham said? He said, oh, Lord, far be it from the judge of all the earth to do wrong. Will not he do right? 
what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Would he condemn that city for the sake of 50 righteous? And the Lord said, no, no. If I find 50 righteous there, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham got to thinking. He's like, hmm, I can't think of 50 righteous there. <laughs> what about 40? God said, not for 40. You remember what number Abraham got him down to? Ten or five? Ten. Could Abraham have gone down to one? Well, sure, but the point was already made. Turns out God didn't find any righteous there. God knew that. He got righteous Lot, who was very disobedient, and he wrung him by the neck and drug him out of the city. He did spare that man and his daughters. But here you have a man reasoning with God. Did you know you're entitled to do that? To reason with God? To present your case before him? To list your thoughts? To tell him promises? To appeal to his character and nature? Those are actually the prayers that God loves to receive above all others. I'm sure some of you have had this happen with your children. They have been thinking about something that they want for the family. And in the past, when they were little children, they would come to you and just ask for it kind of blatantly, and you would say yes or no. But then when they get a little older, they get a little more sophisticated, don't they? They say, you know, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this and how this video game system would be such a service to the family and to the Lord. <laughs> and for one easy payment of $399.99, you can do me this service. Well, when they do that, maybe the answer is still no, but what do you do? You, you hear that, don't you? Because you hear that they've thought it through. You engage them in the idea. You may not even shoot it down immediately because you're curious to hear their rationale. And very often what you'll find is you don't give them everything they want, but they get something of what they want because they went to the trouble of thinking it through. Is God any different than the best of parents? No, he's even better than the best of parents. And God delights when his children reason with him from Scripture. Number five, there are imprecatory prayers. Imprecatory, uh, I only have a small amount of line. This is a technical term for when you pray judgment onto another. Okay? Um, this is a serious prayer. I can think of a few occasions in world history when imprecatory prayers are just and right. When Hitler was running across Europe, it was right and good to, to pray imprecatory prayers upon him. There are complaints. Psalm 102 and Psalm 142. Did you know that God has very broad shoulders? And if you have a complaint, he invites you to bring it to him. How many of you have felt a complaint, but you haven't spoken it in God's presence? Because maybe if you don't say it, he won't know you're thinking it. He already knows. He already knows. And you are perfectly justified in issuing true complaints. Lord, how long will you let this go on? 
How long will my soul be downcast within me? How long will you let this go on? How long will I be subject to these fears and this depression and this awfulness of soul? How long, O Lord, I'm vanquishing. You can do that. Number seven. I don't know how else to categorize this, but a bare personal assessment. It's not so much a complaint, but there's a fine line. I'm granting you that. They're almost the same thing. But there is a difference between a complaint and somebody coming up to you and saying, here is an honest assessment unadorned of the situation. Take stock and act, if you will. Does that make sense? That's what you can do with God. God, this is what's going on. I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to handle it, but these are the bare facts. Would you take action if you so choose? You can do that. That's another one. Of course, there's prayers for mission. Psalm 67.4, let the nations be glad, or Matthew 9.38. The Lord, uh, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. We got a sense of that with Pastor Weber when he was here telling us about his Bible translation in Africa, and our hearts rose to that. Here are these people that don't have a Bible in their native language. We need to pray that God would send more people to finish that job, to get them God's word, to get them the message. And then last, but not least, personal needs. Of course God wants you to give him your personal needs. He says that he knows your needs before you knew you needed them. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't spin, they don't toil. Yet they're clothed more than Solomon was in his glory. Look at the sparrows. Not one falls to the earth without the heavenly, without heavenly Father knowing. Did you know that God has your hairs numbered? And for some of us, that's a changing number every day. And God keeps track of them all. He knows. Tell him. Have I convinced you? And this isn't a full list. Have I convinced you that you have a wide variety of prayers that you can be offering God on a daily basis? Now, let's make some applications. We are to be praying <laughs> all types of prayer and supplication at all times for all the saints. Now, let's make one very brief application that I'd like us to note. On a church-wide level, we are going to make a pretty firm application of this. Every year, we have a devotional plan, and we give you a Bible reading. This year, for 2023, and this is what I've been working on the last couple weeks, if you'd like to know, we're going to have a devotional plan along with a prayer guide. Okay? The devotional plan is we're going to have a choose-your-own-adventure on the devotional plan. You can go a little, or you can go a lot. We don't really have a middle ground, okay? You can go a little, or you can go a lot. For those of you who say, you know, Pastor, listen, I've tried for years to read the Bible, and I think it's my reading, or uh, I have an honest-to-goodness learning disability. I struggle to read. Go for little. Just think about what you're reading. That's better than nothing. In fact, that's best. So you can, you can do a little, or you can do a lot. But along with that plan, we're going to have prayers that we want you praying through the week, four days a week. 
four days a week, we're going to give you prayer topics that we want you to pray through so that as a body, we can grow in our prayer abilities. So we're going to make firm application of this. We're going to have some prayer partners in 2023. We're going to partner you up with another person in the congregation, and we're going to rotate those prayer partners every quarter. We're going to mix it up generationally so Peyton could have Dirk as a partner one quarter. Okay, It's important that Dirk hears Peyton's prayer request. Peyton's a person, Dirk, I'm telling you. Okay? <laughs> We're going to mix it up intergenerationally, but we are going to mix it up so that you get to know a variety of people. You're not committing to anything other than checking in and praying for that person's needs. We're going to give you some guidance because we want us all to grow in our prayer lives. Number two, on a personal level, I think if you have not been challenged today to pray more and pray more effectively, I would, I would wonder about your spiritual state with the Lord. This is a very challenging passage. And any true child of God says, I want more of that. Okay. Now, if that's the case for you, let me give you a couple what not to do's. Okay? Don't do this. Okay? Don't do this. Don't allow past failures to discourage the present. Okay? Oh, I tried that. I got into that. I, it didn't work for me. I've never been able to establish that as a pattern. Okay? We're not talking about yesterday. We're talking about tomorrow. Number two, stop thinking inside the box. Has the box ever worked for you? Okay? Get out of the box. Get out of the box. If praying a certain way at a certain time in a certain place hasn't been an assist to you, hasn't aided you, but you find yourself falling asleep or your mind wandering, be willing to try something else, somewhere else at a different time and place, a different way. Try something different that will help you better engage your mind as you talk with the Lord. Okay? Number three, don't go for too much. <laughs> okay, please don't go for too much. You'll just discourage yourself. You'll go, oh, I'm going to pray four hours from. I'm going to wake up at four, get to prayer four hours, be off to work by eight. Okay? You know, if, if that's what you want to do and you've kind of built yourself up to that, please don't let me discourage you from that. Um, I think that's probably an unrealistic goal for most of us, okay? So what's a realistic goal? Improvement. Improvement, okay? Guilt-free improvement. That's, that's a reasonable goal, okay? Now, what should we do? Number one, what should we do? We need to define prayer more correctly. We need to define prayer as a conversation rather than as a monologue. This is the hard part of prayer, isn't it? Because prayer always feels like a one-way street, doesn't it? It's just you talking, and how many of you say, okay, I'm going to pray, and then after just a few minutes, you've kind of run out of things to say. Okay. Now, I'm loosely defining this I have a good friend, he's a, he's a 
he's a professor at a seminary. He's a well-written author, a very good thinker, a very deep thinker. I always wish I knew the Bible as well as he does. We spent a couple hours at a lunch, and the entire lunch, all we did was try to define prayer. And we didn't come up with a definition either of us liked. Okay? It's a, it's a hard thing to define, but what we do know is that prayer is not a monologue where words just disappear into the ether. Prayer is actually a conversation between two people. So I don't hear the Lord talk. Well, actually, you're the benefit of the Lord's communication. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God brings to you thoughts of how you should be praying. So the Lord is communicating to you from within. Furthermore, when you're with somebody and you run out of things to say, what do you do? Do you, do you cut the conversation off and go home? No, you just stop talking for a while, right? And then, quite naturally, after a few minutes, you go, oh, that reminded me. Did I tell you about such and such? And off you go again, right? I would really strongly advocate becoming comfortable in the presence of God without necessarily having to talk. You come before the Lord. You have a relationship with him. He's your Lord and Savior. He's your father. He's your friend. Talk to him. This brings me to my next point. Approach God as you would want your child to approach you. Respectful, but familiar. Respectful, but familiar. What if one of you had a great title at your work? Okay, um, You were the department head for U.S. agriculture and sales. I'm, I just totally made that up out of thin air. And you insisted that every time your son came to you and talked to you, he addressed you as the U.S. director of agriculture and sales. Oh, U.S. Director of Agriculture and Sales, let's, you'd be like, you wouldn't make him do that, and that's silly. Yet when we talk to the Lord, that's kind of what we do, don't we? We feel that we have to very formally and woodenly express all of his accolades. Well, there's a place for that when we praise him, of course. But I would really strongly encourage you to come before him as though the welcome has already been extended, the door has been thrown open. You have a relationship with this God. Confidently walk into his presence like you would any, like you would for your parents. And start talking. Respectfully, but confidently. Just like you would want your children to do for you. Okay? And then last, I would really encourage you to envision the scenes that God paints in the Bible for what it means to come before his throne. God describes a throne. He's sitting in a temple. Smoke fills the temple. Angels are shouting his glory. There's a sea of fire all around him over the top of this circle of an obsidian-looking material. And God sits enthroned above heavenly places and he invites you 
you to come and talk to him. So drink in the scene as he describes it and revel in it, knowing that he's kept a spot open just for you. And he cares. Okay? One last thought, and then we'll close in prayer. I had suggested earlier that you think outside the box a little bit. I shared this with our men down at our little coffee thing on Wednesday mornings a couple weeks ago. I would really encourage you to get outside and walk or go find a place, like on a trail somewhere. Get outside where there's some fresh air, something to keep you awake and alive and alert. Okay? It's, it, you really don't have to... You, you can go other places to pray. Find something that really works for you and stick with it. Okay? Find something that really, if, if, if uh, office space, quiet of a place in the room. Uh, Susanna Wesley used to take her apron and she would sit at her kitchen table and cover her head. And her, if she had her apron over the top of her head, her many children were not allowed to disturb her because that was her quiet place in prayer. Um, Danielle doesn't do that. Um, <laughs> but if that, that worked for her. So find something that allows you to stay alert and do it. Okay? Think outside the box. Let's pray. And then uh, I believe Nathan's going to come close us in one last song, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for this challenge to be people of prayer. And I ask that you would fill us uh, with a, a great energy and zeal to be with you in prayer. Teach us to pray and encourage and foster our relationship with you. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.